Gerard Mayon is the co-founder, creative visionary, and CCO of What Goes Around Comes Around. He graduated from Syracuse University and enrolled in the fashion program at Parsons School of Design. While attending Parsons, he worked at the Ralph Lauren Mansion, where he saw firsthand the creativity and inspiration necessary to sustain an iconic fashion brand. He used his experience to co-found a fashion business of his own. In 1993, Gerard partnered with Syracuse classmate Seth Weiser to open the first What Goes Around Comes Around store in New York City. They built the store's vintage collection by personally traveling the country, visiting off-the-beaten-track vintage shops, finding authentic and rare, hard-to-find pieces. Today, Gerard oversees a global sourcing network, including specialized buyers, dealers, private collectors, auctions, and personal relationships with fans with enviable closets. Under Gerard's leadership, the company constantly leads trends and has curated the most highly regarded collections of Chanel, Hermes, Louis Vuitton, and other esteemed luxury fashion houses. He is the go-to expert in Americana, vintage fashion, and luxury vintage curation. Thank you very much for um, coming here. I am framing the podcast around events in my life or connections that touch subjects that are connected to who I am and what I do and things I believe in. And I thought, what better person is there to connect to when talking about vintage and recently Kylie wearing the slinky dress that she bought from you made me think oh my god it's Gerard of course it is so (laughs) thank you so much for coming um uh, what comes around goes around uh celebrated its anniversary last year and that's really fantastic so thank you very much and i look forward to doing this with you yeah well i thank you for thinking of me i mean as i said it's a a pleasure it's an honor um you're an inspiration both on a fashion side and and as an individual you know and everything you've done and what you believe in um so it was really a spe- it's a special thing for me. So great. Very, ha- very happy, very happy to do this. Great. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> so um, you know, of course, I know some of your history, but I, you know, it's interesting, and I guess I can now, you know, from having 25 years in the business and in life, and just you know, some perspectives of even how myself, how things have evolved and changed, you know, um, or some things that have kind of been the DNA from your vision in the beginning, but. Um, I guess from from the inception, you know, kind of um, how did you really come about, you know, your your love for fashion, your love for starting your collections, and really, you know, kind of your inspiration was, I guess, first and foremost. Well, I think I remember vintage films having an incredible impact on what I interpreted as beautiful. And um, I know in my mother's generation... Film was the way 
you saw how you could wear your hair, what makeup and style. It was more that than magazines. And so I learned my love for film, especially vintage film, through her and her um, sort of interest in that. And she and she had all the gestures that those films had. She had developed all of them and made them her own. So she was quite a character in that sort of vintage look. And I loved um, spending hours trying to do the makeup and my doing my hair. My mother uh, was uh, a hairdresser in her younger years, and so she could do all of these great hairdos. So I would promise to do the dishes and the ironing if she would do my hair, and, and we would struggle with each other on it. But... I started to wear vintage um, before it was a thing. And this was during Mad Men time. This was early 60s. So people weren't wearing vintage. Clearly, that was not in the mindset. And I remember finding a vintage place, and I can't even remember the name of it. It was on 13th Street. And you had to go downstairs, and um, and I was obsessed with it. And I would buy these things that I saw in the films and just lived in them, loved them. So then fast forward going to FIT, and um, and I wore less of the vintage because I was so out of step as it was wearing those clothes that I sort of developed my own style, but the girls at FIT were all wearing mad many kind of things. And then, uh, I, and was that the, I mean, it's interesting when you think of mad men, because I feel like there's the earlier part of it, trying to think, you know, specific years, but then, then it got to a little more, you know, it was pushing the bar a little bit. And like so, mini skirts, or but you know, well, but mini a, skirts didn't come yet. yet. Right. No. Yeah. So the the early '60s were Mad Men. Yeah. It was corsets, comb bras, girdles, fitted um, or flared skirts, um, and you know, I wore those things too. Uh, because that's what or you wear a sweater with a flared skirt, uh, petticoats. I wore petticoats, I remember, to sixth grade, and I had so many petticoats on, and I would starch them. So when I walked between the desks, they would just go, bup, 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 like, you know, and, and with white bucks that I would powder white. And so there were things that you did, or slingbacks with big taps on them mm-hmm. that you'd walk down the street and it would make a tap tap like like yep. tap yeah, dancer like that, yeah. sound and so when you and all of your girlfriends wore the same clothes and the taps walking down the street it was quite the sound uh-huh. um, so clothes were always a fun expression and um, and I I think I became sort of a leader in my friends because, not because I was wearing something different, 
but I would wear it in a different way. Mm-hmm. I would come up with some, some kind of thing to put in my ponytail or some way to wear my collar on my shirt or something. And, and I noticed that people would copy. I would do it because this is my way. And then they would copy what I was doing. And I would find that fascinating. And I would try something else. And then they would copy that. And I thought, oh, there's something going on here. There's something about this. So I was aware of it. I never verbalized it. But uh, there was a consciousness about what I had no problem doing. I, I it was loved, very natural for I loved yeah. it. And, <laughs> Let me do this again. <laughs> yeah. And so I would keep trying things and experimenting. Mm. So fashion, um, especially when at the time when you were a teenager, it was the 50s and early 60s. And then by the time I went to FIT, it, they were very serious. They would be very coordinated, hats, shoes, gloves, handbags, everything matching. And I I didn't feel that. Yeah. And so and I liked to paint, so I always looked like I was halfway between a paint studio and like dressed. Yeah. So I I wasn't really in sync with everybody at FIT. Yeah, I would imagine. Well, that was the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was really, so that was the spark. And then, you know, where you really kind of transitioned to thinking, hey, this is maybe, you know, the business. I want to look at this and venture into a business. Like, how was that transition? Or, you know, how did that kind of spark? Because it's always a big deal, yeah. you know, to make a leap. So I, I was just um, traveling a lot because I was working at the airlines and I, in, in the office, and I would go to London every weekend and bring back uh, clothes. And there were no short skirts. There were no skirts above the knee happening oh, yeah. a- before, at that time, not happening. And so um, the idea of coming back from London where a percentage of the population were starting to wear mini skirts um, and then bringing them back here and wearing mini skirts, it was so provocative and it caused a stir. I mean, and so I brought back so many clothes for friends that I decided I'm going to open a business. And I opened a business with my ex-husband and I brought clothes back and I thought that would be it. But then I felt, oh. And in a sense, meaning was that more, was it, was it new, kind of new product that you were bringing or more from vintage that you were Mostly, mostly um, new product. And it was the first time I saw vintage in a way that was part of what the choices were that you could wear. I looked at vintage. I was like, my idea of vintage and was these old movies, and I want to replicate 30s, that. 30s and, yeah, and 40s. 30, yeah, yeah. Um, but here was Antiquarius on King's Road and just filled with 
magical Victorian that you wouldn't really get in New York and sure. great stuff. And so it was beyond the 30s and 40s. It was really, you could even go back further. And so I would buy some of those things, not a lot, but I bought a ton of Biba, a ton of bus stop, and any other kind of design um, designs that were so cool. It could be hats or boots or yeah. things like that. Was Ozzy Clark in play? Ozzy Clark. Yeah. Ozzy Clark was small and um, more expensive. Mm -hmm. So I. I really focus more on the energy that Biba and Bust Up and these yep. other, because it was for fast fashion. Sure. I would buy the dresses for $12 yes. and sell them for $24. Yeah, so it was all very palatable. And, and so they come and go, come and go. And then um, I decided somewhere along the line that I definitely had some ideas that I didn't see anywhere that I wanted to do. Um, and I just started making them. And all of a sudden, I was getting press on the things I was making. And I was shocked, quite frankly, that I didn't know what I was doing and how could anybody even pay for it, <laughs> never mind give me a press credit. Um, but it was very encouraging and... Um, and that kind of thing is very helpful for young people in a world they know nothing about. Well, it gives you, and a, com it gives you a confidence. That there's way, maybe yeah. a chance to sure. make more of this yeah. and to keep going when you're starving and not sure if you're going to be in business the yeah. next day. But those are also the times, the, the real passion coming out, too. Those are yeah, the most, yeah. Those are the most special times, in a sense, mm -hmm. which I'm sure yeah. you were feeling at that time. Yeah. And it was so. Was it a was it a store that you actually had, which you first took on? I don't know. Um, so on Fifty Third Street, between Second and Third, mm -hmm. there were a row, and there still are a row of brownstones, mm -hmm. and each of them were painted different colors. And so there was a parlor floor and a basement, and so I took a basement store for two hundred and eighty-five dollars a month. And I painted the floors. I found snakeskin wallpaper and, uh, believe Ooh. it or not, Salvation Army. And uh, all of these the real fixtures <laughs> and these cabinets. And, and so I decorated it from the Salvation Army for practically nothing. Amazing. And I, I remember painting the pattern on the floor and, um, and opened. So... I had, I, and I calculated, I had to make sure I covered the rent and the expenses, so I had my salary from the airline, um, and I would shop with that money, and money that people gave me, and then finally when we had the store, I would know that certain people would want certain things, and I sort of calculated how much I had to buy, then how much I had to sell, and early training on how do you keep do paying you the rent. Keep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, how do you, not over buy fabric, yeah. not overproduce. How do you keep paying not the rent? Underestimate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you were, still, you were still working at the airline at that point and kind of leveraging. Absolutely. Know, at, yeah. Four years, and my husband was going to school at the time, so he would work in the store during the day, went to school at night, 
I worked the early shift till two o'clock at the airline, and then I would come to the sample room until like midnight or after make clothes. Incredible, incredible, wow. Do what you, and realizing that, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening, that yeah. this is actually a dream that I didn't even dream that's being sort of put into my world. And I was so grateful that I didn't want to waste a minute of it. Yeah, well, it, it was another, another one of those steps that just keeps fueling you and mm -hmm. keep going and going, yeah. you know, and just having that positive response and, you know, people, you know, just... I'm sure you've it. had it too. Like you yeah. see all of a sudden people are responding and you, your business could even be bad, but oh my God, they're responding to this. We're going to make it work. We'll figure out a way to get to the yeah. next step. We're, we're going to survive another month. And then all of a sudden something happens and decisions you made to keep and hang in there come together and how many times has that happened in, in forever over I, and over I mean I, over and over I can right? only imagine for you because I, I yeah I know for my I mean there's it's not even the chapters it's those moments where you're like somehow that save just came you know and it's not a save but you know you know with that passion and what you're putting mm -hmm. into it somewhere those things are supposed yeah. to happen yeah they are because I mean it's Plenty of times up against the wall. Well, and 50 sometimes years, that's when the best work gets yeah, done. Yeah, <laughs> 50 years worth of. So, in, in you know, the, the beauty of inexperience is you think everything's great all the time and that bad things don't really happen. They happen to other people. And then you realize, oh, bad things can happen to me. But then you don't, then you realize, oh, this can happen. You can have good, then it can be bad, then it can be good, then it can be bad. That it's never, even with more experience, it's never always good, 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 good. So the fantasy of Instagram and everything we know is that everything is good and everything is great, but so not true. And the, the getting through those, so what are those positive things that get you through? Well people appreciation or some moment that you have yourself where you realize you've just gone to another level something happened that took you to the next level there are things that keep that passion and when you know you're blessed leading a creative life and that you have something that's very special for you the passion is there and even when you think i don't know i don't know and then all of a sudden oh God, yeah i'm yeah. Not, i'm i'm not letting go of this this yeah. is too good yeah well i think that's i mean it is true when people say you know um you know you kind of have to go through certain experience to, to really learn and take something from that and you really do bring that to that next phase and you know part of your life and business i mean i feel like it is life i mean mm -hmm. isn't that you know um and you know, it's it's interesting. The one thing I was kind of thinking, you know, because I've, as creatives, um, you know, so much is about it's that design, it's that vision. But you know, when you think about what it really means to like, run a business, <laughs> you know, mm. and you know, a lot of my thinking was, you know, I think you're just so unique in the sense, you know, especially during the time when you're starting. You know, it was really about the houses, you mm -hmm. know, all the fashion houses, and pretty structured that way. You know, you kind of you 
kind of lay your own road, you know, and from the aspect of going from a creative standpoint to really like, you know, a command of business, how is that balance, you know, um, mm -hmm. for you? you know? Well, the, the interesting thing was that um, when I started, designers were not a thing. Um, it was the store and what the store sold. Um, I think John Fairchild brought the concept through Yves Saint Laurent to what a designer is and what a design house is. Norman Norell was obviously a, a, a famous American designer. There were other American designers that were well known, but they were in a very elite group that sold to the socialites. And socialites were huge. Uh, and, and John Fairchild from Women's Wear Daily really glorified the socialite and her wardrobe and her aesthetic and knowledge of what each of these designers really provided for them. But when he brought over Saint Laurent, as a as a an image and a brand, uh, and the uh, concept of a designer. I'm feeling seventies. I mean, yeah. In a sense. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is early <clears throat> mid seventies, yeah. and he changed the game. And the idea of designers started to formulate. So, Halston. Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, um, all of these names now were the American, you the know, the American designer of the people, right? These were the designers of our time. And this was the beginning of American design, not the elitist kind, but American de democratic design. It didn't mean it was cheap, it didn't mean it was for everybody, but it was accessible and the designers became celebrity. And so the perfect place for them was Studio 54. The perfect notoriety and, you know, Page Six never existed before and now Page Six existed. And this was a platform just like Instagram, for them to be seen sure. and to be socialized. And express themselves. And express themselves. And so did the clothes. So even for me, while I never went to Studio 54, even though everybody is sure they saw me there, um, <laughs> my clothes were there. And my, my sort of credibility as a designer started to get stamped in place because so many of the people were wearing clothes that I designed and they obviously it was about dancing and I'm like I dance and the, my clothes for dancers and movement is what I do so I was a fit for that but Halston had an entourage of celebrities like Liza and, and that whole group that wore his clothes, and Calvin had his following, and 
Ralph was presenting this brand concept brilliantly. And so... That's funny, where you don't see, per se, Ralph fitting in there, but Ralph was obviously pioneering, I guess, at that point. Pioneering, majorly pioneering. And, And so this was a high point in American design, and um, Ian and I really look at that and say, for American design, that was probably the highest point. For the spirit of the originality, the concept of what fashion can be for for the American market, in, in so many ways, and mostly the creativity was at its real peak. Not that beautiful clothes haven't been made since, but the original concepts were there. The original germ of the idea was there, and then maybe used in other ways in other decades. Well, you really, I mean, you had people just pushing the bar, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like full, full expression of, I mean... You know, you can do anything there, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it wasn't that it was about fully about the statement yeah. at that point. I mean, and the- and the '70s were also about that because, um, and I've talked about this before. You had a very strong feminist movement, very strong. You had Helen Gurley Brown with Cosmo telling every woman about how many orgasms they could have, and like, what the hell is an orgasm? <laughs> and um, and then. Men in a coming out in a world where nobody was gay, and then all of a sudden, wow, look at this. And so many people feeling claustrophobic in their hometown and their identities feeling threatened in the hometown, coming to New York during a time when it was bankrupt and affordable but dangerous as hell. So all of this creativity was festering here. And it, the expression from the department store windows to every creative thing you could think of, from home design, furniture, film, music, everything. The music here, the clubs, the bands, all of that. There was so much going on that the energy and the mix at the time had all the right ingredients. And I will say today is is a very parallel time. I think what's going on politically, internationally, the 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 energy, the what's happening in Paris, everywhere, Ugh, yeah. there's so much that's the same that this energy about clothes and the white people wear them and gender fluidity and all of that is really um, coming to be present again, which I find very exciting. Yeah. No, I mean, it's great to see. I mean, it's sad to see some of the barriers rub against, but it's good to see that people are pushing it, which is, yeah. yeah. And so how does... um, you know, this whole gender fluid thing was very obvious for me in the 70s when men were 50% of my customer and I've always made women's clothes and they looked great in the clothes and it wasn't drag, it was just wearing clothes they loved. And I'm seeing it now and I have great photos of guys wearing my clothes from musicians to just people on the street to... 
I mean, editorials that are off the charts. And I am so excited about it. So how do you see it manifesting and what goes around? Well, I, I have to say it's interesting because you triggered something going back to like our beginning. So we, we started in 93. And I guess for Seth and I, you know, we kind of, we had our own version where, and it was really similar in the sense where we were just kind of wearing vintage, buying vintage, going through the vintage shops. and. Again, at that point, of course, they existed, but it was still like Andy's Cheapies, Family Jewels, you know, Cheap Jacks, you know, a bunch of these spots. And we were basically extracting these really cool pieces and doing the same, going out to the, the hot spots of the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And people were like, where are you getting this stuff? You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and we're, you know, we were out like five, six nights a week. And, you know, it was, again, that kind of affirmation confirmation where it's like Mm -hmm. hey we got something here like this is really unique um and then fast forward for our one year anniversary anniversary we actually did a fashion show at webster hall with joey arias actually (laughs) and seeing the show and it was a combination of like you know some of our models some of our friends some you know drag and it was this like kind of you know webster hall at that point and it was really really similar so that was now early 90s and to your point you know we see that we see that now Mm -hmm. you know it's there's definitely that aspect and yeah you know our clientele i mean we have such a broad range and i feel like that's what's that's what's great in terms of even down to our staff and the openness and the comfortability, whether it's, whether it's a celebrity, whether it's any gender, whether it's any, you know, we're just, you know, we're passionate about what we love and the people who gravitate and kind of want to have a taste of that or be a part of that, you know, we're so willing to mm-hmm. give and, you know, it, it's what we love, you mm-hmm. know? So, um, I, you know, for us, it's, it's a definite part of our DNA and an element of that for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting um, for me to see um, the cycle. You know, we talk about sustainability, yeah. and there's nothing more sustainable than vintage clothing because it just keeps having another life. Yeah. And um, that's what really clothes should be about nothing disposable or you throw away or you cut up or whatever it is. The fact that this piece of clothing that maybe I've made in the 70s then is worn or given away to somebody else or finds its way to a vintage store and then somebody gets that and then they pass it on to their daughter. And so it keeps living a new life. It keeps having an experience with the wearer. And it and it's really fascinating because there's so many stories in everybody's experience with a piece of clothing, as I'm sure you've heard. And I've heard a million stories like, I wore this and this, or I met my husband, or they're unbelievable stories, and they're wonderful. And I I remember seeing this girl uh, wearing this skirt that I was the very first skirt I ever made, the very first item I ever made, and it was maybe like 15 years ago. And this young girl, blonde, it was a sunny day, and she was really cute, and she's walking along, and I see the skirt, and I think, what an amazing skirt. 
That is so beautiful. Look at the way it moves. And it was, I think, um, some very soft suede. And I didn't uh, know how to sew, so it was all whip-stitched. Uh-huh. And I had all these sections and pieces. and Kind of patchwork in a sense? Uh, well, it was more of like sacked pieces and uh-huh. stitched and whatever. And as she walked by me, my heart skipped a beat. And I thought, oh. <gasps> Oh my God, that's my skirt. And I wanted to say something to her, but I thought, she probably doesn't even know who Norma Kamali is. And it's probably she either got it at a vintage store or her mother had it or some, it's got some history, but it just made me feel so good that that skirt, which meant so much to me because it was like, the first thing I ever made with my own hands uh, before I used, before I could use a sewing machine, and here it was still being I mean, used. It's incredible. Now, it's Completely. fabulous, right? I'm surprised. I'm surprised you didn't say anything. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I see people wearing my sleeping bag coat or something like that, I very, I mean, I would never say anything. If they recognize me, they may smile and say something, but I would never, never do that. And, you know, you bought it, you don't have to own me. You don't, like, you don't have to, you don't have to have have me stalking you in it. (laughs) Well, meanwhile, everybody would love it, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, well, it's, I was going to, kind of even go back with it in regard to the sustainability I mean it's you know now it's obviously so at the forefront and I've been speaking of late where you know when we did start the business it was it was literally a pitch and a sale just to get people in the headset yeah. that they could actually wear something that's secondhand and that somebody else wore you know yeah. period just so you get them in the yeah. door and they're like what's going on in here and you know that was the first, that was like yeah. it's been to, uh, oh you know and then it's like you'd almost have to go through a process and coaching yeah. them and then get into the process you know now you know really the whole the whole sector and again it's there's a, obviously a huge difference where it's the vintage element and let's just say resale, mm-hmm. you know, and pre-owned. But um, whichever side, the sustainability aspect is, you know, completely in effect. And mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say it's worked into the advantage, but you know, truthfully, of course, it's a, it's a, it's it's a great thing for what mm-hmm. it's doing in the the circular economy. And I think also the fact now where people are actually looking at something and saying. On a new side, I'm going to buy this with the knowledge that, hey, you know what? I may wear it a couple of times, and there is a venue or a place out there in the market, and it's like it's goodwill. Mm-hmm. It's everything, you know where that can then be you know moved on, you know get some money off the board and kind of mm-hmm. roll into that. And it's I think it's just a recycle, reuse. And yeah, yeah, you know. And and the the interesting thing about and it's not all vintage because there was a lot of crap that was made oh. and that nobody wants. Even though sometimes the crap, uh, I'll see. A period that was really off and that didn't really click and you know look as you looked at it while it was happening you knew it wasn't clicking and then after it was like oh thank god that passed um and then all of a sudden now everybody loves it now thinking that everybody loved it then but yeah. <laughs> they didn't um and so it's very funny to see that but 
but to see that um, the 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 appreciation for certain kinds of vintage as as an art form too um, is really gratifying because fashion is a very peculiar art form, um, but it's an art form you can experience physically and art is beautiful and film is beautiful and music is beautiful and it can surround you and envelop you and have an emotional effect on you but clothes are touching your skin you're feeling them you're expressing yourself through them you're exchanging an experience with them people are identifying you through them in many cases and you're identifying yourself through them so while it may not be an official art form it is it is i've learned to appreciate how meaningful a piece of fabric on the skin that is a style that makes you feel good has on long-term memory, on the moment, on the, the, how you feel, your self-esteem, all of those things. So while music can make you dance and make you sing and jump up and down, it's touching you spiritually. Film, same way. Art, absolutely. Interior design, architecture, but and furniture has some of that where you're in it and you're feeling it but something that's enveloping your body and is moving with your body is keeping your body warm keeping it cool doing all of those things helping you walk or run faster doing all of that that is powerful and there was a time in my career where i felt really uncomfortable with the fact that there are people finding a cure for cancer and I'm worried about a quarter of an inch on a hem. Like, what's up with that, Norma? What is up with you? And I would feel horrible about it. And then I started to really listen to what people were saying when they wore something and how they felt. And I I really turned around and I thought, I'm, I'm going to appreciate the value of what clothing can do. Sure. Well, I think that's admirable, and I think one should because, you know, that feeling that it does get everything that you said, I, to- I totally agree. And I love all the arts, and mm-hmm. I love being in a beautiful space and that feeling, um, but to wake up and say, I feel like this, or to be in an event, and mm-hmm. feel like, you know, this is, um, I, I think it's an inc- I feel exactly the mm-hmm. same. I think it's, yeah, I think it's beautiful. Um, it doesn't mean you have to, well, you can care about a cure for cancer. It doesn't mean you can't do both, but as, right, a, as but an it, art and a business, it's what you do, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, in, in regard to even, I guess, that point where you maybe really started to embody that and feel that, you know, do you feel that had any shift of how you approached even your design and I'm sure your fabrics and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, um, I think it's incredible the aesthetic visual design that you have but that functionality mm-hmm. that's just and that versatility i feel that every everything that you've done um 
Do you feel you've always always had that approach? Was there or was there a point where you really got more of a command of that? Well, I'm I studied anatomy um, because I wanted to be a painter, and so my and I was very lucky. I went to a high school in New York that was all girls, and they and the art department was a very isolated little group of of uh, studios and. We had nude models at a New York City public high school. Just think about that. And they were all dancers who were, would come in and make extra money modeling um, for the art department. And so I really learned how the body moves and the 360-degree the view of the sculptural form of the human body. And so... As life has it, as the universe took me on my path, I found myself just having all of that experience. So it was easy for me to design a swimsuit. It was easy for me to design clothes that could move with the body, that could feel comfort and could um, do things. So I sought out knits and stretch early on um, before lycra was even in any clothing. It wasn't 75 is when I started to experiment with. I used to buy girdle fabric for some of my early stretch leggings that nobody was making, <laughs> mind you. But, uh, but I would find fabrics and try to get the stretch in them. And for 500 yards of fabric, maybe 375 would be damaged and the rest would be that's wow. how the early development was but i was very um interested in finding knits and fabrics that moved and um and so i worked with them early on so that that could be incorporated into the design and how you felt in the clothes and then um i think it was Probably in 73, I, of course I was obsessed with vintage, and I was selling a lot of um, vintage. There would be these guys that would come with the biggest trash can bags you ever saw in your life and drag in big bags of vintage, and I would go through them, and I'll take this, this is like, how much? Yeah, and um, or go up to Harlem to uh, warehouses where they had storage of fur coats or whatever that nobody'd recovered, or went out of business and the stuff was there, and I would be taking the subway back from Harlem with trash can bags of vintage. That's funny, that's what I did. Well, on so two, you, on two hundred and six, yeah, two hundred and so, Place Clemente. Yeah, so you can. So, so this yeah. was my sort of foray into this. And at the time, I thought, why can't I think of vintage of the future? So, in '73, my I put this challenge in my head to come up with some styles that. I felt could exist 40 years from that time and that would be 
still viable and still desirable. And so those pieces are still on my line today. Which is just unbelievable. Oh, they're Incredible. still on my line. And it's not because I'm trying to like prove yeah, myself right. right yeah. It's that <laughs> they really work. And the beauty of it is I used um, knits to do them in. And the fabrics have just gotten better and better and better through the years. So actually, the styles today are a hundred times better than the originals because the original fabric, at this point, if you saw it, would be like plastic. It would be very un, not soft and yeah. brittle and not as comfortable because of age. Yeah, no, I feel even knowing some some early pieces, even prior to us, you know, with your, your archive, like pieces that have come through, and you you can kind of feel that completely, completely you know? different. I mean, yeah. 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 Completely different. So there have been a lot of changes in the fabrics, um, especially fabrics I like, that have um, really improved the lifespan of a garment, the sustainability of a garment, the, um, the wearability of, of clothing. And, um, and that is continuing to change, and it will continue to change. Sure. Yeah, no, it will. And, well, it's interesting because, you know, as we speak from, let's say, the eras and the decades, and you've seen five decades of your mm -hmm. business, you know, and <clears throat> I think we're at a point when we look at 70s, 80s, you know, the decades are usually pretty depictive, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but, and there's a lot of people that follow trend with that said. Um, in your mind, in terms of trend, I mean, how did you, how much of an effect did it even have on you, if, if any, really? Was it really, I mean, you're I, kind of creating your own in a sense, yeah. I guess. I, I think um, one of the, there are, there are two things that um, I recognize looking back that I had in my favor. One was I decided I could be me and I could do a really good job at that. But I couldn't be other people. So if there was a trend or a hot new designer, and then everybody wanted to do what that hot new designer was doing, I didn't think I could do that as well. And it wasn't fun. I didn't want, you know, that wasn't my idea of fun. Sure. Coming up with something that I'd never done before, that I'd never seen before, was far more was, fun. Right, right. So that was my road. But trends would come and go. Some of those trends reflect a time, a social time, a political time, a feminist time. Um, you know, so if, if it's a feminist time and nobody's wearing underwear, the construction of the clothing is a little different. So I would be affected by those things just like everybody else because fashion actually reflects the time uh, in a lot of ways. And so especially women's bodies from decade to get decade have changed. That's, yeah, yeah. That's a big thing that nobody talks about. So it could be a model that affected the look of of a decade or it could be or models or it could be um people are working out everybody's working out so they have fit bodies they're not real thin and emaciated they're they're more 
full-bodied or firmer or have a different, even a different way that they wear clothes. So that affects the fit and the look of clothes too. Um, so through the years, there have been these factors that affect what you do. But I think after a few decades or half decades where I've seen designers come in and then go out, I kept thinking, oh my God, that's not good. Right. Don't flash, like flash in the that. Pants. I don't want that, right? That was a trend, and people get tired of trends. And then as each decade went by, the trend time reduced and reduced and reduced. So it's like a trend is a year now, if that, and come and go. So the only thing that you can really depend on is authenticity reflecting the time, being relevant in the time, right? I mean, that's critical, and you want to do that anyway, intuitively, um, and just making sure that you're as, as excited as you can be about what you do, and that then sort of people pick up on that when they see the clothes or try them on. So I think that that... Um, is how you get through the changing of trends and everything else. And so now it's another time of disruption and change and all of this stuff. And I actually flourish in disruption. This is my, because your sweet spot. <laughs> this is like, it's people are open to just give me something different. So my thing is like, don't go too different because mm -hmm. you're going to have to pay for that material. Sure. And if you're not selling it, you know, that you gotta, there has to be a nice happy medium here. Sure. So I'm always, if I'm going to go way different and I want to, I make sure I have something that's not so off All the right. cliff yeah. so that there's, there's a, a Something that I love, but still not everything has to be so different. But in a disruptive time, I don't have to control myself as much. I can try different things. And it may not be in the design, but maybe the way you're presenting it. or could be the pr what, a print. Or it could be exactly. Could be colorway. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and, well, I mean, just, just the fact that relevancy, I mean, to... Because I imagine you have, you know, the, the customers that have been with you for, for decades, right? I mean, have been, you know, loving what you do. And then the fact of, I mean, look where things are. As mm. now, now we say, you know, to, to actually, you know, you know, there's the ones who know Norma. And like, you know, you look now and you say, okay, there's a whole new field. There's a new field of designers out there. I can't even say who they really are. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things spawning out and it's like just to be in touch with it. It's... Um, you know, how, how do you, I mean, I guess, how does your approach now, I guess you spoke about it where you kind of can, it's a disruptive time and you can kind of take some, you know, some risks out there, but, you know, in terms of this next generation, I mean, where do you see this going? And I mean, the relevancy to, for you to sustain mm. that, I mean, how do you feel about it? So the interesting thing is that there are women older than I am that, have Norma Kamali clothes or have a memory of Norma Kamali. And in a woman's life, there are so many, and because I've been in business so long, 
I'm, I have um, more decades of customers who have had an experience mm. with me, some long-time experiences, some shorter, um, and some get married and change their lives completely and would never wear my clothes again until maybe another time in their life or pay, give their clothes to their daughters or whatever. And so there are people who will say to me, oh, are you still making clothes? And I think, so obviously she's not been sort of in, in my circle. And, um, and I say to them, yes, I've been making clothes, but you've, you've changed your life and I don't exist in your life. And that's perfectly normal that people go through those cycles. But then there are people who, because of a personality type, connect to certain types of things, whether it's furniture, color, antiques, vintage, design, brands, and they relate um, in a physiological way. There's some, some real deep connection, and they probably can't explain it themselves. And those clients, um, through the years, whether they started in their 20s, 30s, 40s, or whatever, are sort of constants that are very interesting. The, this generation and the generation that are shopping online, um, this is a very interesting time because through social media and through e-commerce, I'm reaching a much larger audience than I ever you, had and before. You were, and you were, the, I mean, you had that pulse, you know, it's one of the earliest to have that pulse but, online. But now, um, shopping online gives you the ability to know me through social media, to know me, to communicate with me, and to buy something right away at any time, it could be three o'clock in the morning, it could be on your way to work, You're, you have the opportunity to connect with me or my Instagram posts or whatever you wanna say. So just like that dress that um, Kylie, I'm thinking about Instagram that Kylie bought from you there were tons of pictures in it, and uh, I was so surprised to see it. Sure. Um, and I remembered the collection it was in. I remember the whole thing. And then on Instagram, there were reposts, 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 and Norma, do this dress again. You've got to do this dress again. There was so many requests. So, um, and we, it was easy to do that one. I mean, because it was just, that's an easy one to sure. do. And so I said, yes, yes, yes. And they said, do it exactly the same color. And I said, no, I'm not doing exactly the same color. I'm going to do it in colors I want to do it in now. And no, you have to. It was a woven fabric, and it was in this. And I said, no, it wasn't a woven fabric. It was a stretch, and I prefer to do it in this color, this color, this color. And so I challenged the fact that people 
like how many people really wanted the dress or how many people wanted to be Kylie. They wanted her breasts, they wanted her butt, they wanted her skinny waist. How ma- what was that about? And so I didn't give in to the kind of thing. And I was like, um, <laughs> no, I, I love the dress and I'm, I was happy to see it again. Um, and, but I, but it, it didn't mean that to me to do it again, to capitalize on Kylie. I just loved the dress and do it in the colors I want and the way I wanted to. Um, and then I have a really funny story. So the, um, I put the dress up and this girl is very pissed off on, on Instagram because how dare you claiming I copied her. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's her dress. That's her design. And then I see she writes the same thing about an outfit I did that J-Lo is wearing. And she oh, and so the yellow one? And she oh, writes yeah. it on that one, too. That's my skirt. How dare you? I have it documented. I did it in 2016. And so, and she's challenging me. So I, I write a note, and I said, be careful, I think it's a good idea if you do a little research. And so now, every two seconds, she's writing, and then she's writing texts and emails to me through info, and very intense. So I look her up, and she's a designer in, a Welsh designer. And so she wasn't even alive when I first did that dress. (laughs) She wasn't born when I did that. And I thought, is this, is this something that sort of the nature of people now where they assume that there was no past? Or do you know what I mean? Like, what, what can that be? And I sent her a note saying, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that you're so distressed and you're feeling so angry about this, but I actually did it on this time. And I feel the same way you do about people copying. In fact, it's made me very angry many times. But you have to understand, first of all, that you need to know what's going on before you get angry. Yeah, an accusation. And when it's really that... She probably sounds like she copied you. She probably no. She probably she no. She probably didn't copy me. She probably sort of was influenced by a copy of a copy of something I did, and doesn't even understand the the kind of the distance reference to it. But it's sort of the awareness. The point I'm getting to too is the awareness of. What was the original? So we talked about the 70s and that original, that was a very original time, a very first time, 60s, first time, first time. So where do the originals come from? Like, is this something you, this must be something you think about yourself. Like, what was the original and what is the derivative of the original? I mean, I mean, my gosh, the inspirations, you know, I mean, you feel like, 
there's always, well, I shouldn't say there's always, but most of the time there is some cue or something that is taken. I mean, and I think a majority of people are more on, you know, it's the trend and whatnot, but I mean, real core designers like yourself, where you're thinking from a totally different perspective, um, you know, it's, it's not that you're looking to, to copy something or you get, you know, I mean, it's an attitude. Mm. It's, a, it's a, a, you know, a point of view that you have, as you discussed, um, you know, for us, I mean, we see it all throughout the market. I mean, you know, from Victorian, you know, up through current, you know, we've, I feel like we've seen almost everything on the planet. Right. And, you know, one says it's almost impossible to recreate, but as you said, with fabrications, you know, and I think certain applications, there are some, you know, new and innovative, um, you know, pieces coming out at this point, which I think is really interesting, mm -hmm. um, you know, and how you bridge the, the functionality to, you know, to style and kind of pushing that envelope um, and the sustainability aspect, you know, it's a very interesting point right now where all those kind of things combined. But um, yeah, I mean, for us, we've kind of seen, we've seen the whole gamut, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of. So um, I was just in um, Los Angeles and New York has always been here with fashion, Los Angeles here. And with all of the consciousness that um, New York designers and European designers have been uh, looking at to incorporate into their businesses and their designs, the sensibility and the power of what Los Angeles had was that they've always had this sort of ethic about sustainability, product, and made that a part of what their fashion is. And so this scale is sort of going here. They're not the same, but the scale is sort of going here. And fashion is having many identities. So I have a question for you. What do you see from today and all of these topics? What do you see as the vintage of the future? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because I will say, I do want to touch on the aspect why I even feel now where it is, let's say it's going back to the 90s, you know, and early 2000s. You know, to me, there was, there was a lot of not so great fabrics <laughs> that were in play. And I actually see some of that in play now, which I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe. I mean, you know, with the aspect of streetwear and just, I mean, I'm seeing like, you know, poly in the mix and just like, you know, mm -hmm. some of these not, and I'm just like, I'm like, I can't believe this is $1,500, this is $2,500 for these fabrications. And, you know, um, and there's so much fast fashion, you know, right now. I mean, it's just like with fashion, it's disposable. That's why I'm asking you because, you know, it's, yeah. It's, it's kind of scary to think what's ahead, you know, really. I mean, and, you know, and then there's the more customized designers where you say, hey, there's more, it's maybe limited runs and whatnot, but are you really going to be seeing that, you know, how much is going to be left, you know, how much was made? Um, you know, I do, you know, for, for us also, when we were, we looked at the eras, it was, you know, and when we opened, it was all Victorian through 60s, maybe a little touch of 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, and as we went through, we then eventually crept up to the 80s, you know, and then really 90s, you know, it started becoming more about the brands, 
you know, which mm. is, and, you know, and kind of the houses, you know, I mean, and now where we look at like, you know, between Chanel and I mean, at least from a luxury accessory standpoint, Chanel, Louis and Hermes is kind of the top core, you know, but, um, you know, for us, when we look at Azadina Laya in the day and Saint Laurent, you know, when we look at some of the Japanese designers like Combe and mm-hmm. Miyake, um, you know, and Vivian Westwood on the English side, um, you know, I mean, these are just the classics that I feel like will always sustain an aspect. But, you know, in some sense, it's a lot of, a lot of these are designers that this generation may eventually not even know. You know, I feel like when I talk about Cardan and Courage and, you know, some of those, they like look at you like you <laughs> have two heads, you know. So, um, you know, I do think there's an aspect. I mean, you know, now Carl's, you know, Past sadly, but I, you know, I think still like some like Chanel, the house is is still going to thrive, mm-hmm. you know, and um, certain brands are going to have that. But I actually something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I, you know, where you have let's say your top brands, and now you see a lot of a lot of shifts and changes within creative directors at a lot of the houses, and I, you know, it's it's almost a little bit sad because I I mm-hmm. feel like there's not enough room out there for all the houses to flourish yeah. at the same time. And I, I kind of I wanted to see what you thought mm-hmm. about that too, because it's, you know, I mean, what do you, what do you think on that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's <laughs> you know, I, I just think because of the disruption and the, the ability to sustain the numbers and the volume and the, the finances of, these huge companies, their expenses are enormous. And so how do they do it? So if the numbers aren't making it, next. Who's next? And that obviously is not the answer. So I think fashion designers are disposable right now too. Um, Anybody can be a designer. Anybody. you know, in when Ian interviewed me for the podcast, one of the questions he asked was, what do you think about these non-designers, celebrities, with their, these fashion brands? I mean, it's outrageous. They're not trained, and, and, but that's not what it's about. It's totally about followers and having an influence over an audience um and so to me it sort of makes sense to take a look at an industry that didn't really have famous designers until the 70s until john fairchild elevated the designer and come around and take a look at it again and say, so if you have all this training and you have the skill set, guess what? Anybody can be a designer. Anybody can be a designer. You can have a technical team in place and anybody who has a point of view and an audience is as powerful as the next person but maybe the designer's time is coming to a phase out and unless you have 
a real authentic connection to an audience, a social media audience, or an audience like that, you really um, may not need to have that person as a designer. So if that person is connected, then there's a business opportunity. And the Kardashians have taught everybody a big lesson about life and, life and times in this world. And they skillfully are brilliantly achieving these goals. None of them were trained for design or for beauty or anything. But you know what? They have a point of view. They have very good leadership with their mother. And and they know how to execute authenticity. They are being their authentic selves. And they're finding people like them, following them. And they're transforming people who are not like them to be like them. Because people need somebody to follow. So uh, I think... You have to really appreciate the power of reaching a global audience and connecting to people on an intimate. This is an intimate friend. This is a friend that we touch and hold more than we do our best friends, more than we do our partners. We are intimately involved with this machine and that is really more important. So the lifespan of a designer right now, I'm not sure. And so when I started, there weren't designers. There were products and there there was creativity um, that I find very special right now. So I don't have a problem with not having fame as a designer. Mm -hmm. I don't have that problem at all. And I think for you, the interesting thing that will happen, it it may not be the houses, right? It may not be luxury. It may evolve into something else that you will intuitively pick up on as we go through this process and keeping in mind sustainability is going to be a loud sound over everything keeping in mind all of the new awareness is going to be very present and that gender fluid is more important and what what are people feeling they want to do to express themselves so maybe there will be less of the stylist per se, and maybe more of those stylists will become the designer replacements, and then people will shop for themselves. And a new kind of thing will happen. I believe that vintage, or the kind of thing you sell, is not going anywhere because there are very few experiences people have in the shopping experience that bring in the entertainment factor that vintage does. So, the, for example, the only thing, when I got rid of everything, the only thing I kept, because I'm, and I do nothing with right now, but I want to do something with it, was a collection of costume jewelry that 
is all from old films. Mm. And it's wonderful, and it's massive, and I have bins and bins and bins of it. Oh my gosh. And what's great about it is, is it, each piece has a story. Each piece has an entertainment possibility of who wore it in a film or what the designer, you know, like Joseph of Hollywood and all of those designers that did this incredible costume jewelry produce. So there's storytelling, there's entertainment, there's a connection with um, history, and all of that um, even if you never saw the film or it didn't matter to you, the pieces are so extraordinary. They're museum quality, but they're still wearable because they're not precious. They're costume jewelry. So I look at that kind of thing. I look at what you do, and I look at what the, the retail experience is, and I'm not sure what that word will be, and I see it encapsulated in VR, in, in visceral experiences. And your, you know, what you've created is a visceral experience. And I'm sure you see that every day. So yeah. people are not going to keep going to see you because it's like going to a museum, but they can participate. Yeah, one that's, yeah very inviting and comfortable. Yeah, it may initially feel intimidating, but then you realize, oh wow, this is so inviting. And I think it, that whole experience from the space to the curation and each store having a different curation mm -hmm. to uh, embedding your staff with knowledge, you yeah. know, and just that real true customer service that I think we all agree is like a lost yeah. art at this yeah. point. Um, and it's something you can't really appreciate in the same way online. So if what you do can be duplicated online with faster service, better, all of that, get to your house overnight, what, yeah. same day, yeah. whatever. No, that that but, version of great service yeah. on that part. Yeah. But, so this is what you have is better in person yeah. than doing it that way, unless there's a continuity of experience. But more, more and more the kind of thing you do and other things um, that involve a connection with another human being, I, I think is what the future is about. So vintage will obviously morph and, and keep changing and evolving, but the experience is so delightful and exciting. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you're saying that and appreciate because that's what we're. You know, right now we're. I mean, you know, retail brick and mortar was the beginning of our business. You know, and now we're really forging into our e-com and you know social media and you know kind of having I'll call it transparency of inventory because the thing for us is. We don't have the piece where, oh, this piece hits like Kylie's wearing it. You got, it yeah. the, you got the one piece, you know. And sure, we did, our, we did our line for, you know, about seven, eight years. And it was good to kind of have us on the map as more of a brand in that way. But obviously, we really went back. That was 2006 to 2013. But then we just said, you know what, we're going to put our efforts into just being the best, you know, vintage slash pre-owned luxury, you know, like on the planet. Like that's really our mission in every way from the curation of the product to the experience, to the service. Um, and, 
you know, right now where we have, where you can come into the store, the idea is to really have like, whether it's on, you know, iPads or whatnot, but to really have all of our stores inventory and even from our headquarters. That you could just flick through. Where yeah. you can just come through and say, hey, I want to see all of your Chanel boucle right. blazers. There's 200 in stock. Yeah. Or I want to see all your, you know, pink Chanel bags or all your Alaya dresses or whatever it is. And, you know, so we're working towards those That's aspects. Great. So we could really be leveraging on both sides. Right. And the, you know, the other key thing I think, and I mean, you, you have to possess this is like, you never get stand on your laurels. Like this is, you know, we're not open to learning and to, you know, kind of testing, testing new waters. Um, I think we're, we're very open-minded Seth and I and the, t and the team below us, um, to be open to what that next thing is. And, mm -hmm. you know, for us, we can be really reactionary. That's the great thing mm -hmm. on vintage and it's not to say, oh, this trend is in, so let's get it. But, you know, we feel it. I mean, mm -hmm. we're a part of creating the trend mm -hmm. and kind of pushing things out there a little earlier because that's what we believe in, that's what we see. And really, our, our clientele at the top level, I mean, we really have all the tastemakers. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason they come to us is because they're going to get that one-of-a-kind piece that no one else is going to have. And it's totally about one-of-a-kind. And, and it is. And, you know, it could be from a beat-up pair of Levi's, you know, yeah. the rock tea and a Chanel bag to this incredible, you know, incredible Valentino or, you know, mm -hmm. Dior Galliano gown, you know, and it's like, um, you know, it's, and we feel it's broad, but it's, but it's focused. You know, we know what we like mm -hmm. and don't like, mm -hmm. you know, there's the feel for us, the best of each of the designers. We know those moments. We mm -hmm. know those pieces. Mm -hmm. We know the ones we don't want, you know, so for us, um, I think how we put that package together is special. And believe me, like looking at the re the um, the retail uh, landscape coming forward, like who knows? I mean, and I look even beyond fashion, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, is there, you know, you got Uber Eats and seamless, you know, and for restaurants, you know, it's like they you need to have that great experience to want to go out and yeah. go to dinner. Do yeah. you need to go into, otherwise you'd be like, you know, I'll just I'll order in. Stay home. Yeah, you know, yeah. stay home. And, it's in so I don't know what's going to happen out there, but yeah. it's you know. Well, you know that's why we love disruption. It's a time to to really change. But you have the advantage and uh, in what you're doing, and and it's great. And congratulations! And I'm so happy we've done work together. And I'm really thrilled that you came to do this today. I enjoyed the conversation. I, I hope other people do too. My, myself as well.